Shalom and welcome to this week's lecture. And um, I'm really psyched up about this. Uh, it took me quite some research to put it together. Um, uh, really, really beautiful. Um, I'm not complimenting my work. I'm complimenting the teachings upon which this is uh, based. Anyway, the, um, the title is The Dot, Line, and Box Subtitle. Making it real, wholesome, and totally transformative. Now, I ask of you to please follow along through the whole thing. Don't get worried that there's so much Kabbalah and fundamental Kabbalistic issues here. I will explain each and every one of them and make them all line up beautifully and to be understood. Um, but we're in for quite a haul here. So, as always, we start with the modern day issue. The modern day issue is making it real, wholesome, and totally transformative. Now, there is no greater feeling than after a deep and strenuous um, day of work that we that we come uh, from. We come home feeling that man, today was real and it was wholesome. And now, how do we get to feel that? This is the feeling that leaves us that that it leaves us with, even though exhausted, however deeply rejuvenated, as if we have drunk from drank from the wall, the well of life itself. Okay, I'm making pronunciation mistakes. Okay, let's go back. Okay, so that's what we're going to explore here. Now, not so when we deeply know that we didn't give our work all that we got. Rather, we just skimmed the surface in order to just get through. We know that we went through nothing but a very shallow transformation at best, if any at all. And this leaves us feeling frustrated, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. This leaves us feeling frustrated, wasted, cheated, and shameful of self deep inside. In this lecture, we are going to take a deep look into what it takes to make it real, wholesome, and totally transformative. This lecture is based primarily on two mystical teachings, my Morim, of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, delivered one on the Shavuot holiday and the other on this Shabbat in 1968, exploring the development of how God gave us the Torah and of how God created the world. Okay. Now, as you know, we're going to go through some introductions and then we'll get into the class. So, a simple introduction I just want to share with you is that there are some times that the Rebbe would start a concept in one time when he delivered the Mimer, then follow up and develop it and grow it in the next time that he would deliver a Mimer. And uh, sometimes this would go on for three, four, five. And this is called a Hemshach, a continuation. And they have a specific beauty to it as it keeps on growing and developing and becoming full. Now, this concept primarily started by the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash, and has been carried on by each Rebbe since. And what I'm going to share with you is built on such a hemshach of primarily two Maimorim that the Rebbe delivered in 1968. Now, let's talk about the spiritual evolution of Torah. The first Maimah begins with a teaching upon what seems to be unnecessary wording in the opening verse of the Ten Commandments. Now it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am God your God, and so forth and so on. Now, why does the verse have to have the words, all these words, saying? It could have just said, And God spoke, saying, I am God your God, and so forth and so on. So what is the depth of these words, all these words? God spoke all these words. And the answer that is explained by our sages 
and in the Talmud and in Hasidus, that all these words is teaching us that God gave us the entire Torah in the Ten Commandments, including even, I quote, a veteran student is destined to innovate. Everything is hidden within the Ten Commandments. Now, and you'll see when I post the notes, I quote the two teachings of the Talmud exactly to understand how this works. Now, important to realize that this teaching is in lieu with the commentary of Rashi. Now, Rashi on these very words, all these words, he says, and I quote, This teaches us that the Holy One, blessed be He, said the Ten Commandments in one utterance, something that is impossible for a human being to say in a similar way. If so, why does the Torah say again, I am the Lord your God, if God said it first in all these words, it was all inclusive. And so too, you shall have no idols. And he answers, because he later explained each statement of the Ten Commandments individually. Okay, what's going on here? The importance of understanding is, that we now have insight into what it means that God gave the entire Torah within the Ten Commandments. That it was in the fashion of, and I quote a rule, general followed by specification. Now what does that mean? The meaning behind this is that at first all the Ten Commandments were given in one general all-inclusive delivery. After which, each of the Ten Commandments were then repeated, given in an individual, specific delivery. And so too, let's go on quickly through the entire Torah, how that works. And so too, after the all-inclusive delivery of the specific Ten Commandments, there was the specific detailed delivery of each of the Ten Commandments. And then the 613 mitzvot hidden within it in the five books of Moses and the other 19 books of prophets and scriptures which make up the written law. And then after the all-inclusive general delivery of the entire 24 books of the written law, it was then went on to all the specifics of the 613 mitzvot, their laws and their details, when they were specifically delivered in the Mishnah, the oral law. Now, after the all-inclusive general delivery of the laws of the short case teachings of the Mishnah, there was this specific individual detailed delivery of all the details and laws hidden within the Mishnah in the Talmud. Now, upon the Mishnah and then after the all-inclusive general delivery of the specific details and laws of the Talmud, there was then the specific detailed delivery of all the laws that is hidden within the Talmud that were revealed through the veteran student. Thus the entire Torah, every single stage of it, was delivered first as an all-inclusive generality and only after that we received the specific details. Now the question the Rebbe proposes for us is, poses for us is, that being that God gave all the individual specifics of the Torah down to the details of what the veteran student will extrapolate, then why did he first give it to us in a general, all-inclusive fashion? Why not give us directly all the details of the details of the details of the specific details of each law? Question in the first manner. Then the Rebbe continues on and says that we find the same concept by creation. Now let's look how it works in creation. So, we have an interesting teaching of our sayings, and I want to quote it to you. It's in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 5, Mishnah 1. And it says, The world was created in ten utterances. What does this come to teach us? Certainly it could have been created with a single utterance. However, this is in order to make the wicked accountable for destroying a world that was created with ten utterances and to reward the righteous for sustaining a world that was created with ten utterances. Okay, 
That's what the sages says right there in the Mishnah, Ethics of Our Father, Chapter 5, Mishnah 1. Now, watch what Kabbalah and Hasidus is going to do with this Mishnah. They learn out on a mystical level that what the Mishnah is telling us is that originally God gave an all-inclusive utterance. And that is the first utterance of Bereshit, Bara Elohim, et ha-shamayim ve-et ha-aretz. In the beginning, God created the heaven, the heaven, and the world. And our sages want to know, why does it say, et ha-shamayim ve-et ha-aretz? With the, and with the. He could have just said, and God created heaven and earth. So from here we learn out, our sages tell us, that when it says that on the first day he created heaven and earth, it means he created the heaven with all that is detailed in it, all the creatures and all the celestial beings. And when he created earth, he created it with all its terrestrial creatures and beings and details. Okay, then if God created everything on the first day, what did he do then the next six days? with the next nine utterances. And we're taught, and the Ramban, Nachmanris, and Rashi goes ahead and, and feels the same opinion in his com commentaries, that on the first day, God created the mass, the ex nihilo mass. And within it was hidden all the potential details and forms of all creatures that would be created from this mass. And then Rashi goes on to say, and that each of the other days, so too it is the Marsha, and he brings it in the name of Nachmanides, and he says that on every other day, God fermented the form and individual creature of each day. All the creature created in each and every day. Okay, so once again, what are we seeing here? That first God created the entire universe with all its details hidden within an all-inclusive general utterance. What the Mishnah calls the one utterance. After which was extrapolated from there. As specifics that are extrapolated from a general rule, all the other nine utterances from which all the creations came. And then over here, the the it gets it gets kabbalistic. You don't need to follow each and every detail. I just want to show you how the Rebbe says that on a kabbalistic level, this climbs higher and higher and higher. That in each stage, there is first the all-inclusive general, from which comes out the specific detail, and then that specific detail becomes the all-inclusive general for the next level of specific details, and so forth and so on, until the ten utterances of the ten emanations, which create each and every um, uh, creature and, and, and creation as we know it. So I'm just going to read it to you quickly, just to go through the holistic levels of what we're saying here. Okay? So, first it was the all-inclusive general it aroused in his will. These are quotes from the Kabbalah. After which there was a specific detailed estimation in potential. After which there was the more specific detailed pre-contraction will. After which there was the more specific detailed post-contraction will in the sublime realm of the thought level of the primordial man. After which there was the more specific detailed supernal will in the realm of the supernal crown. After which there was the more specific detail of the all-inclusive emanation of wisdom. After which there was the more specific detail of each of the other nine emanations. So there is the evolution chain going from general to specific. The specific becomes a general to more specific. So forth and so on until here. Thus we find both in the giving of the Torah and in the creation of the world, God went out of his way to first specifically deliver it in a one all-inclusive delivery from which later was extrapolated 
the other nine commandments, so forth, so on, to the entire uh, written law, oral law, all the way down to present day workings of the veteran students defining laws to modern day issues. And so too with the developing into the one utterance it is from which, from which is extracted all the other nine utterances which create each and every one of us with our specific DNA form and fashion. And of course the question is why? Okay, now the next introduction is two distinct focuses. One last introduction is that in the first Maimah, the Rebbe per points out the purpose for having all-inclusive general delivery. That's the primary focus there. And then in the second Maimah, where the Rebbe really develops more the final product of the, of the specific details in what it gives back to the original dot. Okay? Done. Now let's go into the lecture. As you know, I always list for you the mystical concepts we're going to talk about, from which I then go into explaining each one. So here is the list. A. Understanding symptom. B. The dot, line, and box. C. The teacher and the student. D. The DNA of humility and transparency. And then finally, E. The greater post-specifics dot. Okay, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Alright, so we're going to talk about symptom. And symptom is a big word. Anyone that's dabbled with Kabbalah knows symptom, contraction, and wow. But let's not get into the wow. Let's get into digesting it. What really happens? Okay, so let us start with the definition of the word evolution as it exists in the realm of Kabbalah and Hasidus which for all practical purposes we will say started with the Big Bang, as it is explained in Kabbalah and Hasidus. And may I say that neither of these two explanations have anything what to do with Georges Lemaitre's Big Bang Theory or with Charles Darwin's Evolution Theory, which according to the Torah are not factual. Rather, I am just playing puns by using those terminologies. But you'll see that the pun plays out well. So, the Big Bang that I am referring to is called Tzimtzum Contraction. Tzimtzum, as we understand it, was taught by Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Arizal, whose teachings were documented by his students, and of them, the primary one was the famous Rabbi Chaim Vital. Now, the Tzimtzum Teaching is found in Rab Chaim Vital's book, Eitz Chaim, right there in the beginning. Now, important to point out is that there were many which misunderstood the concept of Tzimtzum. I'm talking about great Kabbalists. They misunderstood it until Rabbi Schneer Zalman explained it and his successors defined and explained the Tzimtzum in great and perceivable details. I will describe the symptom according to Rabbi Chaim Vital's writing and explain it according to Hasidus and, Elus and Hasidus's elucidation. Now, I'm going to quote to you from Rabbi Chaim Vital. Please, again, do not feel, oh, this is beyond me. That's the job of Chabad, to take the abstract and make it digestible. So just bear with me. The teaching of Rachaim Vital is that, and I quote, Know that before creations were created, the simple, pure, supernal light filled all existence, and there was no place of void. But all was on simple light with one equality, and it, and it is what is called the infinite light. And he goes on, And as it arose in his simple, pure will to create the worlds, Behold, then he contracted infinite himself into one central dot and contracted this light and distanced himself to the sides around the central dot. And then there remained a place of void. That's, obviously I use dot, dot, dots because I want to just shortly li line it up. That is the teaching of Rav Chaim Vital based upon the teachings of Rav Isaac Luria the Ari HaKadosh, and that's what became 
the famous known Luric perspective of Tzimtzum. Now, what were the two mistakes? The two mistakes that were made in this teaching were, number one, God contracted himself. God forbid. Which, while in truth, God contracted but his infinite light, not himself. And I'm going to explain this. And B, that the contraction is to be taken in its simplest sense, meaning that there remain two separate identities, God forbid, God, creator, and creation. And God's relationship with creation is in that, and I share with you the wordings of the teachings of those that misunderstood Tzimtzum, and they said, of a king looking out of his palace window at the trash. The king, God, creation, trash, in comparison to. And God stands in his realm and from a distant, separated place, looks at the trash. Now, while in truth, here is the most important Kabbalistic rule we'll ever come across, God is everything and everything is God. And God's relationship with each creation is that of individual divine providence. So far, and I lean on a, a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, to, which I quote, a leaf being blown by the wind to land upon a dehydrated worm in order to save its life is a direct divine providence of the essence of God caring for a dehydrated worm. Okay, now, Hasidus explains, and I do want to share with you that for the sake of, I think, clarity, Hasidus usually does not quote the words of the Eitz Chaim, but rather quotes the words of the famous Kabbalist Amek HaMelech. He wrote a book called Amek HaMelech. Okay? Now, the teaching of Tzimtzum, the way Hasidus explains it, is that before the Tzimtzum there was he and his name. Name in Kabbalah refers to light. So there was he and his light. Other places it refers to it as he and his infinite will. They're all names for the infinite light. Now, and within the infinite light, there are two categories. Follow along with me. Number one, the essence of the light. And number two, there is the shine, the expression of the light. Now, within the expression of the light, there are two categories. There is the infinite shine and there is the finite shine. Not in my nose, but for those who work like I do and see things in pictures, just imagine the famous, you know, drawing, right? How do you express light? So you have a ray, and from that ray is coming out lines. Most people will draw it with a big line, a small line, a big line, a small line, a big line, and diagonally, showing that it's shining, right? People even draw the sun that way. You draw like a circle, and then there's a line, little line, line, little line, line. I want you just to imagine that there's the essence of the light. The bigger line is the infinite shine. The smaller light is the finite shine. Okay, now that we understand this, let's explain symptom. Number one, there was never a contraction in the he, he and his name, the essence of God, God forbid, but only in his name, the infinite light. That's what God contracted. Number two, in the essence of the infinite light, there was no contraction, God forbid, but only in the shine and expression of the infinite light. And number three, within the expression of the infinite light, the Tzimtzum created two different effects upon two different shines. Let's see this. Upon the infinite shine, the words in Kabbalah is Naga Boy HaTzimtzum. The Tzimtzum just touched it. And Hasidus explains what that means is it didn't transform it. It just caused it to reverse its light. Instead of shining outward, it was shining inward. Okay? And by doing this, if you were to look at it in, in picture form, so here you have an entire mass of the infinite light shining, and then there's a point where the infinite light is told, don't shine outwards, shine inwards. 
And what ends up happening because of that is that there is going to be what we call the great circle, the eagle Hagodol of infinite light around a place of void from the shine of the infinite light. And what this does is, as we'll soon see, it allows for the purpose of the next process, which is upon the finite shine, the symptom has a transformative effect in which the finite shine now has myriads of levels allowing it to become the digestible, linear, permeating, finite light, which can now become the soul or the spark vivifying each finite creature in accordance with the creature's specific individual limited capacity. Okay. Now we need to, let's, let's, you know, let's make words out of this. So, let us clarify the outcome of all these details of the Tzimtzum before we go further into necessary details of that last concept, the evolution of the digestible, linear, permeating, finite light. That's where we're going to frolic today. However, we first need to have a sum up of what preceded that. Number one, what comes out of how Hasidus explains what Rab Chaim Vital wrote in the name of what the Arizal taught, this is the outcome. Number one, he, the essence of God, went through no change or effect of the symptom, God forbid, and remains filling all existence, both in the within and in the without of the place of void. In other words, what I'm saying is, there's no place where God isn't. The essence of God is everywhere, obviously. There is no place or existence outside of God. Now, the second thing is, that the same applies to the essence of the infinite light. Now, the third thing, which is very amazing, according to Hasidus, the expression of the infinite light, when we say that the infinite shine became the circular, infinite, encompassing light, the word encompassing and so too with the word place of void, is not to be perceived as a geographic. It's not a geographical place. Rather, it's an experience. So when we say encompassing, don't picture that somewhere out there in the vast universe, there's a circle. Within it is the universe, and outside of it is revelation of of God. No. What encompassing of the great circle means on a metaphysical and mystical level, spiritual level, it means that it remains elusive. I cannot swallow it. I can't digest it. Let's explain this, okay? In the world of intellect, there are intellectual concepts which are just for someone as finite as me. They are abstract. So while I'm conscious of their existence, and I even have a shadow of a perception of what we're talking about, the one thing I must say is, I cannot wrap my head around this. I hear you, I see what you're saying, but I can't wrap my head around it. That means that this intellectual concept Rather than being digested, internalized by my brain, it's actually encompassing around my brain. That metaphorical picture is what we're talking about in how the infinite, the shine of the infinite shine of the light became encompassing to the place of void rather than revelation, digestibility, in the place of void. Okay. And now, there is what we said, the last level, which is how the ever the symptom affected the finite shine. And that created from it the finite, linear, permeating light. That's the evolution that we want to talk about now.
And that's where we get to the next point, the dot, the line, and the box. So, the symptoms affect upon the evolution of the digestible, linear, permeating, finite light leads me to introduce two more Kabbalistic concepts. One, the dot of Rishima. Rishima literally means markings. That's the first thing I want to talk about. And the second thing I'm going to talk about is what's called the line of the Kav. Kav, by the way, literally means line. But what it refers to in the Kabbalistic teachings and in Hasidus is a finite ray of the infinite light. The Kav. Okay, let's jump into this. The Rishima, the markings. The Rishima is explained in a metaphor of something that was written and then erased, of which there is now a marking left of what was written. Okay, so the perception is that you can't completely erase, so anyone looking at this piece of parchment or paper is going to see markings, some type of markings of what was previously written, but not legibly to clearly understand. This is explained in Hasidus. Now let's take it to, that's the metaphor. What does it mean in the Kabbalistic realms? What it means is we're talking about the vessels of the pre-Tzimtzum light shine, from which the light shine was removed from the vessels and only the vessels remained. Now when only the vessels remained and there's no more the light within it, that is metaphorically compared to having erased what you clearly wrote and thus it's only hidden and you can't legibly understand what was written. That's the Rishima. Now, this leaves us with two pertinent properties of the Rishima. Number one, the Rishima contains within it markings of the pre-Tzimtzum, pre-contraction light. And secondly, the Rishima is but a general all-inclusive dot in which there lies hidden, illegible, all the specific details which will then come forth in the Kav, which now leads us to talk about the Kav. So what you're hearing over here is the Rishima is what I am referring to as the dot. Now we're going to talk about the line and the box. The dot is what? The dot is the general all-inclusive in which all future details will be extrapolated from are hidden within it. Now the Kav is explained as a metaphor of a huge, huge pipeline coming from an infinite, raging, powerful water source. Now this huge pipeline brings it to a country or a city, let's just make it simple. And from there, we now have to have smaller pipelines going into neighborhoods. And from there, we're gonna have smaller pipelines going to specific streets. And from there, there's going to be even smaller pipelines brought to your field so that the water that travels through that final pipeline is of perfect quantity and pressure that will irrigate your field without, in, in, a, in, a, in a good way rather than in a destructive way. That's the concept of the Kav. That it takes from the infinite dot, which we would never be able to sustain, and brings it down, brings it down, brings it down. And in each world, each spiritual world, the higher world gets from the thicker Kav. And then the next world gets from a little bit of a smaller, thinner, until it goes into the lowest level and which you have the creation of finite creatures that are alive, meaning that there is a specific spark of God or a soul of God from that process into our physical bodies and we don't explode like plugging a 110 appliance into a 220 wire, uh, um, a 220 plug, but rather it works perfect. Okay, and, and as we know, 
when there becomes an imbalance between the vessel, i.e. the body, and the light, that creates a shock experience, which totally paralyzes, I don't mean physically paralyzes, but totally paralyzes the person, and he experiences insanity. Okay. And so too it is with every creature. And according to the Ria Kadosh, the Rizal, it's not only what we call living, which plants grow, animals live, and humans live, but even the inanimate, the fact that it exists is because there's a spark of the Kav in that. Okay. Now, with all that, I want to just share one more thing, just for the sake of full disclosure, full disclosure, even though we won't be focusing on it, that from the line, the Kav comes what I call the box. The actual wording is Shetach, which means area. And the point is you have the dot, you have the line, and then you have the three-dimensional box, which again is just applying that we're extracting more detail, finite details to be absorbed and digested. And now that we understand what the symptom is and how the symptom created from a place of just infinite existence in which the finite is lost a finite ray will not be seen or noticed in an infinite shine thus god pulls back the infinite shine to allow for an arena in which the finite shine can become dominant and useful and then in that itself, there was the three different levels that we spoke about. First, the dot of the markings from which was later extrapolated because in that is hidden all the specific details. So then you had these, the extrapolation from the dot into the kav, the line, from which later will they be extrapolated the three-dimensional existence of the worlds, spiritual, celestial, and physical, terrestrial. Okay, now that we understand this, we understand the question. The Rebbe asks a simple question. If God's ultimate purpose is to have the box, the line slash box, why did he have to first create a dot? God could have simply just have created directly the line and the and the the line and the box. Put it in other words, why did God have to first create the one utterance dot rather than directly? creating the specific, finite, detailed 10 utterances. Because that's what he's looking for anyway. So why not do it directly? That's the question. Now to understand this, I want to give one more. Just take it from another angle, ever so briefly. I'm going to do this quickly to explain the symptom. What does the symptom mean from another angle? And for this, I'm going to use the often used metaphor in Hasidus of the teacher and the student. However, I want to share with you that in Kabbalah, the realm of the teacher and the student is not what we know. It's not a, a, a question of quantity, not even a question of relative quality that differs between the teacher and the student. Rather, in Kabbalah, we talk about the teacher represents a total, infinitely different paradigm of reality, which therefore makes his perception and his understandings completely unobtainable to the student. Completely. Now that we understand that we're not talking about two comparatively um, equal, only one being more developed and one less developed, but equal, same spectrum, one on the bottom and one on the top, but the same spectrum, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about complete two different spectrums, and one spectrum we cannot digest the other spectrum. Now let's understand what happens. The teacher, his job is to teach the student. And what does he want to teach the student? He wants to teach him from his, a detail, a teaching, from his teacher's paradigm, perception, and understanding. However, how can he do that? He won't be able to do that because the student's going to look at him like, what? So therefore, 
Kabbalah explains that within the teacher's realm, there also exists hidden the student's realm. Go back to the Tzimtzum. In that area, there was the infinite shine. So all you saw was infinite. But within the infinite was hidden the finite. Now, the only way for the teacher to be able to have the student paradigm within him to be able to dominate when he sits down to prepare when he's studying by himself he's living in his infinite realm but when he's preparing his shiur when he's preparing his lecture his class he has to completely contract and pull away his teacher infinite paradigm so that he can find his finite student paradigm as it exists within him and from there go ahead and prepare his class you know on just a practical note what that would mean is that when i sit down to prepare a class like this just simply speaking and and by the way let's be clear there is no infinite quantum difference in the way i perceive things and you perceive things but at the age of 53 i've had 51 years of studying and this studying and building and building and building and now I want to take these teachings and I want to share it with someone who may be out there has never studied this the very language scares people away Tzimtzum, Rishima, Ka, what are you talking about? Get me back to the Talmud where we talk about oxes and cows and the ox gore the cow I get that but there's angels and faces and realms and then and woof. So therefore, there is the concept in explaining Hasidus that one of the ways the teacher does this is by using metaphors. Imagine a mathematician, try, a teacher, trying to explain a child for the first time what is fractions. Fractions to a child who has just learned about numbers is abstract out of his paradigm but when the teacher brings in a pie of pizza and he shows that the student this is one pie which is made up of eight slices and i take one slice out of the pie that becomes one eighth oh a kid knows what pizza is and he knows that his mommy doesn't let him have the whole pie he can only have a slice or two thus it begins to make sense what the t what that mathematician who lives in the abstract world of numbers for him to stop thinking pizzas he had to go through the contraction and that contraction allows for him to then teach the student in the student's realm now let's go ahead and take this a step further because in Hasidus we also use this metaphor to explain that our sages tell us and it's a teaching that says as follows that you should always teach your students in a short way that's the Talmud of Psachim I quote to you always want to teach your student in a short manner now what does that mean the short manner means the general all-inclusive delivery that will later allow for the student to hear what he's hearing sit down then with his partner or with himself another student and go ahead and work on it with the toil of his capacity of his tools to extrapolate the specific detailed delivery of what was hidden in the teacher's all-inclusive delivery now if the teacher was right away to give the all-inclusive delivery the, the specific detailed delivery what would be wrong with that isn't that what the Rebbe asked in the concept of the Tzimtzum? Why did God give us the dot one all-inclusive utterance rather than directly going to the ten specific detailed utterances? Okay. Now, it is here that we want to reach in order to understand why God chose to deliver a dot from which the line box is to be extrapolated rather than going directly to the line slash box.
And here we go to the next concept. The next concept is the DNA of humility and transparency. Now, in the realm of creation, the general all-inclusive dot, we call it the Rishima, we call, we call it so many names, but that's what it boils down to be. The dot, the general rule, the Mishnah, in which is hidden the pages and pages and pages of details of the Talmud. Now, when this comes to creation and the divinity level, so we have the all-inclusive dot, which is the Rishima, which carries within it the pre-symptom paradigm of reality, in which God is everything and everything is God, and they're, exper and they're experiencing a total humility and transparency to God. Okay? So in the one all-inclusive, it's such a powerful, infinite shine. It carries within it even hidden, not only the shine, but the essence of the light. Not only the essence of the light, but the essence of the source of the light. Until we talk about within God, the essence of God itself, that's all hidden because it was all there pre-Timtum. And all we did was take the light out of the vessel, but there remains the markings within the vessel. Thus, from that vessel, dot, that Rishima marking, lies within it the DNA of the pre-Timtum. And thus, the paradigm, the experience is one of total humility and transparency where there exists nothing but God, for God is everything and everything is God. The problem with that is that the whole reason there was a symptom was in order to create the world. And the whole reason God created the world was for what? In order that there should be humans that have freedom of choice. Now, what does it mean, freedom of choice? Because it, it, God didn't stop when he created angels, because there's no freedom of choice. But humans have freedom of choice. Now, what gives us the power of freedom of choice? Let's just boil it down to the bottom line. What gives me the power... <laughs> just share with you quickly, and I know it's a long class, uh, but I just want to share with this, this with you quickly. In Kabbalah, we defined an atheist as a piece of God telling God that God doesn't exist. <laughs> How is that possible? Where did this notion of a piece of God to think that there is no God? How did that happen? Where does freedom of choice come from? And the answer is the symptom. Because in order for me to have freedom of choice, I have to not experience the overwhelming, dominating, paralyzing revelation of God. I have to be able to say, oh, that's what God said? Let me think about this. How can a piece of God, someone that experiences the revelation of God, think that I have to think about what God said? That doesn't exist. That can only exist through a separation and where I view reality, that there is God, God speaks, and then there's me. And I listen, or I don't. Now that notion can only happen by dualism, not by the true monotheism, which doesn't just mean there's one God, it means that there's nothing but God. Now I want to give you my own little metaphor of Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is a one-way mirror. From God's perspective, nothing changed. Transparent window. But from our perspective, we have a one-way mirror, which means that when I look up to the source of where I come from, guess what I see? A reflection of me. Thus that and only that made possible. Thus God created a symptom so that there could be this notion of separation and identity and dualism in a realm of reality where there only exists oneness. That's why there's a symptom. And that's why God couldn't, couldn't, God chose not to just have a one utterance because a one utterance would defeat the possibility of me telling God no and only the possibility of me telling God no makes my telling God yes. 
precious. Ah, but now we have another problem. The reason God gave me freedom of choice is not that I should choose against Him. The ultimate reason why I have freedom of choice is my, making my choosing Him precious. In other words, I have the identity and arrogance of self from which then I work my tikkun. Breaking my arrogance, breaking my ego, so that what I ultimately am going to come to the conclusion is that I will have bitul, humility, nullification, transparency of myself to see myself as nothing more than a conduit of God. Now the problem is that if I have, if I come from the post-symptom, specific, detailed, ten utterances, which is defined by I'm me and I'm not you, that's why there's ten, right? The only reason there could be ten is because one tells two, you're you and I'm me and we're not the same. And two tells three and three tells four, right? So everyone says I'm me, you're you, here's where I end, here's where you begin. You stay you, and I'll stay me, and don't come on my side of the street unless I invite you. So that concept comes from the specific details. Thus, it's not in my genetics. That's where I come from. It's not in my genetics to have true and ultimate transparency. That's why God first made the one inclusive, infinite shine, dot, from which is extrapolated the ten finite, separated, ego, utterances, emanations. Because by doing that, the fact that the ten come from the one means that hidden within the genetics of the ten is the DNA of the One. Thus hidden within me, in all my ego and arrogance, and I don't mean it in, in a negative way even, just the fact is that survival is what drives me to say, I love you dearly, but I come first, because this is a survival issue. When I have, I'll give you the leftovers. Now that, that simply is defined as ego. I, me, you're you, and that's it. But the power that the I came from an all-inclusive, infinite, shine paradigm. The pre-Timpsum paradigm of God is everything and everything is one dot. And the line comes from the dot means that hidden within the line is the dot. I want to take it a step further. On my own, I would only be able to accomplish what is called in Hasidus, Bitul Hayesh, the nullification of the ego arrogance. I would never be able to accomplish Bitul Bimetsius, which means the nullification of any self-existence outside of God. No matter how humble I can become, I, I am humble. You hear the words? I am humble. I don't see myself as non-existing. I may see myself as not important and, and, and whatever it may be. But I can't deny that I am I. I start with I. I am humble. But in the genetics of the pre-symptom, it's the very existence of I which becomes transparent and non-existence. For God is everything, and everything is God. There's a beautiful mystical teaching, not to get into here, but just to throw this at you. The face, when you look into the water, and you see a reflection of your face, your face is not your face. That face is actually water. Run your hands through it, it's water. And, and in Hasidus and Kabbalah, we use this as a concept of saying that ultimately, I, face, features, individuality, the way it exists within the water isn't me, it's God. And thus, the DNA of true transparency 
of being able to become humble, truly humble before God exists in the 10 utterances only because the 10 utterances came from the one utterance and thus it's within the DNA of the 10 utterances what exists in the DNA of the one utterance. Now, again, follow follow what we're saying without getting lost. One or ten utterances. It's, it's, it's becoming clear. Now, I want to take it even a, a, to a second, a, a second concept. And with this, we're going to start wrapping up. The second concept that I want to talk about is what does the dot do for, I'm sorry, what does the line do for the dot? So we just explained what the dot does for the line. Basically, the teacher gives the student a paradigm that is non-existent in the student's world. Thus, the student can say, I am me, but I shouldn't be arrogant. But he can never say that I am non-existing. The teacher gives him the dot from which all his future extrapolations come which tells us that within the student there now is hidden the DNA to be able to say, I am non-existent, God is everything and everything is God. By the way, there's a beautiful teaching in the Talmud, in, in Tractic Avodah that says and explains why Moses said, taught the Jews 40 years later, what they should have answered God 40 years prior at Mount Sinai. And he, the Talmud says, from here we know that one cannot be expected to absorb the teacher's paradigm consciously until 40 years. Now let's extrapolate from here that after 40 years, with diligent study, the student can actually reach to the essence paradigm of the teacher on a conscious level. Now I want to talk about not what the dot does for the line in the box, but I want to talk about what the line in the box does for the dot. And how do I know it does anything? What, what does the student do for the teacher? The teacher does for the student. And thus I want to take you to a teaching in Tractic Tanit in the Talmud page 7, side A, and it says as follows, and I quote, Rabbi Hanina said, I have learned much from my teachers and even more from my friends, but from my students, I have learned more than from all of them. Now, the simple meaning behind this, which I didn't put in my notes, but just to share quickly, the simple meaning behind this is that when the teacher teaches, there's many things that he, he understands and he just flows for granted. But when the student starts questioning, which causes the teacher to say, whoa, 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 one second, that is a good question. I have to rethink what I understood. That's what it means. What does it mean on a Kabbalistic level? On a Kabbalistic level, it means as follows. There are actually not one dot, but there are two dots. There is the dot, the general rule, which has within it hidden all the details. Then we extrapolate from that all the details. Now what happens afterwards? To understand what happens afterwards, I need to share what the two dots is. One is the all-inclusive dot, the dot which has within it all the details from which is extrapolated all the details. But then there's another dot, which is called Nikudat Hatamtsut. Now what that literally means is extract dot. What the extract dot means is that after I've gone through and combed through and dug and worked and extrapolated every detail, I search and find what is that one essence soul to all these details? So it's not an all-inclusive dot. Rather, it's an essence dot. 
Because after I learned the entire tractic of Talmud, and I've learned all the laws of Shabbat, for example, I want to understand what is that one essence soul of Shabbat, which is the reason and the soul of all these thousands and tens of thousands of laws of Shabbat. That can only happen after I had the all-inclusive dot, I had the details. As a student, I started digging and digging and digging and digging into all the details, combing them all out, making sure that everything is clear and precise. And only when all the pieces of the puzzle are correctly within their spots can I get to ask myself, not what is the rule from which all this came. That I heard from my teacher. But rather to ask myself, what is the soul essence from which all this comes? The soul essence within this as this exists. What is the will of God within all these details? And that's why if it's like this, this is the law. If it's like that, that's the law. What is the one essence? That's what the students bring back to the teacher. But, however, all of this was made possible only through God first having the one all-inclusive dot which gives the DNA of true, true humility and transparency and self-nullification into all the details so that when the student studies all the details, they have already within them hidden the dot, the paradigm of God is everything and everything is God. Ultimately speaking, the Torah is one from which comes a complexity. But within every complexity, there is the essence of the one. And that can only happen because it's within our DNA. Through the study of Torah and doing mitzvot, we can reveal that DNA that ultimately I am capable of perceiving. Not that God is my creator and I am his creation, but there is no dualism of creator and creation because the creation was made out of part and parcel of the Creator. Okay. And now we'll understand something very beautiful. And with this, we're going to go into closing. Now we can understand what it means in Hasidus when it says that ultimately, after the contraction, after the evolution, after everything coming all the way down to here, you and I can sit here and have to prove that there's a God. Ultimately, what happens is that through our freedom of choice, working Torah, mitzvot, helping people, learning to get over bias and racism, as if there's two types of people, there's the this person and the that person, separation of the classes, if God is everything and everything is God. What difference is if I'm black, white, yellow, purple, male, female, ultimately Jew, non-Jew, isn't the animal, plant. If God is everything and everything is God, how can I have any prejudice? How can one piece of God have a prejudice to another piece of God? As if there's different complex pieces of God? Thus, by working this, what we ultimately do according to Kabbalah is not that we own, not only that we bring back the pre-Tzimtzum light into the place of void, but rather we bring the revelation of an unprecedented essence, unprecedented revelation of the essence of God in the consciousness of the place of void. Now we're talking business. For if we only bring back what happened, previous what was, that was a bad investment for God. But the fact that essence does not reveal itself to the conscious, and through us working it, we reveal the nikudat hatamtsut, the essence dot. We actually bring into the consciousness of the place of void a revelation of essence. And thus you have the verse in Prophets that says, my very body will see my teacher. God. 
Okay, in closing, it's getting really late here. It's going long. Short closing. In closing, we can have a clear understanding that there are no shortcuts to the amazing feeling of coming home fully exhausted while being rejuvenated from reaching and drinking from the ultimate well of life in the center of our soul. There's no shortcuts. Yes, we can work. We have to get exhausted and really work it and not just try to shallowly glide through it. And because of that, we are exhausted when we come home. But if you really did it right, in your exhaustion, you experience an omnipotent, eternal, and internal rejuvenation from the well of life. We need to work the teacher's dot, uncovering thoroughly each and every detail of the student's line box. For only beyond that is the infinite well of life to be found. Thank you and Shabbat Shalom.